Good evening. Good evening. Welcome to another edition of Folks Talking Sports on the Folks Talk Sports Twitter account, as well as on the Houston Round Bar Review YouTube channel. And also for the time being, my personal Facebook page. I'm Chris Gardner of the Houston Round Bar Review. Joining me, two of my young colleagues. First up, James Mueller. How are you, sir? Doing well, doing well. Next, Andy Yanez. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, Chris. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I'm going to wait for a few minutes because I really don't want to repeat myself, but I don't mind doing it. Uh, thank you for the first person tuning in, watching us either on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter. Let me put that out there. I want to take this time at the start of the show, and we hope to have Sam Khan from The Athletic joining us to discuss the Big 12 news slash the AAC news, and also the fourth member of the group, Willie Gibson from Ohio, get Mr. Gibson to uh, talk with us and get a perspective we haven't discussed yet on the Folks Talking Sports, Deshaun Watson and the Cleveland Browns. Willie Gibson up there in Ohio, going to get his thoughts on everything. Deshaun signing, the last two accusations, except now 24. So all that as well. But I first want to acknowledge the young man in the middle of the screen there, Mr. Yanez is going to publicly embarrass him, but that's okay. Uh, I want to thank you, Andy, on this show for what you did for me and my mom with the uh, GoFundMe account. You know, that was your initiative. Thank you very much for that and for all the support that we have received. Um, my mom is still here. She's still fighting. The doctors wanted her to go to hospice on Thursday. She showed signs of life she woke up she was wide awake wednesday when i went to visit her uh she was squeezing holding hands so i told the doctors she's not going to hospice on thursday so we're going to keep pushing to see how long she lasts it may not be more than a week this month whatever but i know it wasn't thursday i know her last day was not thursday and that's what the doctors basically wanted to happen so andy thank you very much for that i really appreciate it i am touched beyond measure for what you did for me and my mom. So thank you for that, my man. I really do appreciate it. And and I'm going to say it. I love you, man. Thank you for that. Thank you. Really do appreciate it. Thank you. Man, Chris, you're welcome, man. I'm just glad I could help. I know at the end of the day, yeah, there's not really anything more we can do to, I mean, that's, you can't put it into words, but, but I can't imagine what you're going through and just to have a little bit of help uh, on doing anything. And I'm, I'm glad that, that, you know, it's meant so much to you. I appreciate it. And I'm going to shift gears a bit. I don't know if you guys had a chance to watch um, last night's Let's Talk Houston Rockets. But um, I was at campus yesterday, UH campus, for Cheetah Center, as well as the Guy B. Lewis Development Center, because the Cougs men's team hosted uh, Elite Camp, grassroots slash AU. I want to say some high school as well players mm -hmm. some of the top players in this in the area were competing and the players uh players were working scoreboard and and things like that so i saw some you know friends and coaches i hadn't seen in a while rafael stone was there guys rafael stone has mm -hmm. uh his son is playing for one of john lucas's teams i think the 15 under team so he was there watching and supporting his son uh coach kelvin was there coach kellen was there some some talented young men here in the area but i just want to say this to, to you guys 
it was a complete roster of teams, who's who of elite AU teams in the area. Promise me when I say this to you guys, there were years that the who's who of AAU basketball would not give a second thought to using Cougars men's basketball to participate in elite camp. They had enough teams to, I think the first games are around 11 in the morning, decided to play until eight last night. So, wow. and using Fertitta Center, the main court, the boys' court at Gavi Lewis, and the girls' court. So all three courts were full from, I think, 11 to 8. So that goes to show you, and, you know, it's a great chance to showcase the, the venue. So it's a great yeah. selling tool and all that stuff as well. So just what are your thoughts on what that means and indicates for the program of having these top-notch? And I'm talking some of these teams. One young man, I think I heard he's from Australia. He moved here to play uh, for one of the prep academies in town to play basketball. I think he's class 23 playing basketball at Houston Tita center or the guy, the Lewis courts. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I'll, I'll go first. I think, you know, what really what it shows is, is um, it's kind of echoing what I guess, visualizing what Marlon Lowe said uh, a couple of weeks ago when he joined uh, the show and, and you asked him about, how the Houston program has changed since Kelvin Sampson uh, took over um, at, over at the University of Houston, and you know to essentially have the entire day be dedicated to a whole bunch of different games and and just like you said, showcasing the facilities um, for Tita Center, Guyby Lewis Development Training Center. That's huge. Um, I believe they call it development facility. They don't like the word training, if I'm yeah. if I'm correct, um, but. I mean, that's just huge right there because, like you said, it's a who's who when you look down, up and down the list. Um, at the very least, you're familiarizing, you know. I'd, I'd imagine that's when a lot of these athletes that are, um, you know, they still have a couple of years to go before they end up making their college decision. And at the end of the day, that's really how you get that recognition uh, beyond because that's something that Calvin Sampson and his coaching staff has done a good job of, and that's recruiting the, the talent here, the homegrown talent. Like you said, it's um, – very deep in terms of talent. James, what are your thoughts? Yeah, sort of just echoing what Andy said. Houston, obviously, is a deep, deep, talented place for basketball. We've seen a bunch of, in recent years, you know, Guy V. Lewis winners, which is, you know, the best player in the greater Houston area in high school, come to Houston, come to UH. We've, we've seen them, you know, be committed. Samson and them are committed to, you know, keeping guys in the city. Um, and so I think this is another great opportunity. And just like you said, you four or five years ago, you wouldn't have thought of this happening. They don't have any of this stuff. Um, but now that they have all these facilities, I know Samson's always talking about, you know, continuing to do upgrading, being the most new and improved stuff. But just having these and the ability to showcase, like, that means a lot to these guys. Like, it, it's got to be so cool to, you know, play a game on the Fertitta Center floor or, you know, see where the the men and women's teams train and uh, practice and all that and all the all, just everything they have available to them and be able to play there. So I think it's a perfect opportunity. And uh, yeah, I mean, um, you just see the commitment to, you know, <laughs> keeping the guys in the city um, at UH. And I was there for a couple of hours. Um, John Lucas, 15 under team. has a young man. I don't know his last name. 
He's in eighth grade. Okay, eighth grade. First name is Evan. He has potential. I did. I get got a chance to speak with John Lucas a little bit about him. Try to work out something with Luke, uh, interview wise. Either he might come on here, or one on one for my interviews on, of, uh, for Houston Round Bar YouTube channel. But uh, first name is Evan. He is talented. Probably six four, six five right now. You might be watching him. Might be discussing him on this show or college wise in, in the four future. years. Yeah. But uh, eighth I mean, grade. He's eighth, eighth grade and he's eighth six grade. Four. Yeah. Jeez. So it's it's guys, teams, I think, class of 2026. So they had teams with players that young, you know, participating Saturday in the elite camp. So it was a range, you know, class 23 to 26. So they, they covered it all. So it's, it's great to see it's an opportunity to promote the program, promote the facilities and all that and, and get an eye on on some talented players, you know, put in a good word here and there about, uh, hey, young man, if you want to consider staying local, going to the Big 12, you know, great facilities and all those things. I heard a few little birds tell me some things. I'm going to share with you guys and D-Skills H-Town and people tuning in. Jarris Walker, one week of camp. It's looking real good. One person told me he's special. <laughs> so that's what the person told me. He's special. Special talent. Terrence Arsenault. Right now, Terrence Arsenault weighs 185 pounds, and he looks it. <laughs> he looks slim. Okay? But give him a couple months with Coach Bishop, strength coach. We'll see come August, September if he's at 195 or, or what have you. So I saw him working the scoreboard. Jarris, Jawan, Emmanuel Sharp. Uh, who else is there player-wise? Those guys. Uh, coaching staff, of course, is there. So helping out. But those are the handful of players I saw while I was there. Because, you know, like, like I said, I probably have shifts to work the scoreboard and the clock all day. But it's just good to see. It's good to be back in have a chance to reconnect with some folks I hadn't seen in a few years. Uh, I thought we had Willie pop on. He gets got some technical issues. So until he rejoins us, let's get into it. We'll have Sam Khan with Athletic join us hopefully in a few minutes when Sam, I think, lands or gets into his hotel room or whatever he's trying to do. But Sam Khan from Athletic, big time. We're big time here on Folk Talker Sports. We get somebody <laughs> like Sam Khan on the show. We want to get you guys' thoughts on it. Friday? Friday morning, the American made the announcement that they had reached an agreement, settlement, whatever you want to call it, with Houston, with UH, Cincinnati, and UCF, which makes it official for those three schools to join the Big 12 July 1st, 2023. Do y'all want to make fun of Michael Resco right now or wait till Sam Khan? Who wants it first? Oh, I'll, ju I'll jump on it first because I remember when I, I, I believe it was the athletic there. I saw it from the athletic. I think I might have seen it from Sam Khan first, uh, what the actual number was for the exit fee that, that, uh, the three schools, UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston ended up paying the American Athletic Conference. And I remember, uh, the report was about, about two months ago where they said they asked for 45 million from each of the three schools. And that ends up being with, <laughs> really 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 much lower than that um not even half 
of that is what they ended up um, agreeing to with those three schools. And I was 18 million. And the moment I saw that number, uh, I um, sent it, Chris, I sent it to you. I sent it to a couple of others. And I was just astonished that it was that low, to be uh, quite honest. I felt like the American uh, took the L on that one in terms of, you know, losing those three schools. Uh, I mean, Cincinnati, Houston, and, and UCF, obviously, of course, um, that, that was their goal from from the beginning was to join the Big 12 um, come July 1st, 2023. And, and they have it. Uh, the XFE isn't, I thought at least it would be $20 million, and it yeah. was below that. So uh, the word I used whenever I sent it, I, I Obviously, we don't know the, the background on, and what those conversations are like for some of the factors, but at least from the outside perspective, it looks like the American Athletic Conference got punked. Yeah. Jan, what are your thoughts on it? Same as Andy's. My first thought when I saw the original number, I was like, this has to be a typo because, like Andy said, we've all read the reports, you know. First, it was $35 million, then it jumped up to $45 million, and so you're thinking, you know, it's going to be a lot. And then on top of that – once Chris Pesman, when he met with the media, confirmed, you know, the details, um, the fact that they have they have to pay the 10 million original exit before 2025. But then they have 12 years to pay the additional 8 million, which is like less than a million a year. Like yeah. it's nothing. Yeah. It's jump change for yeah. them. Um, it, it just blew my mind away. And yeah, the American definitely got fleeced in that deal. And with that, we're going to bring in a man from Ohio because I want to get his thoughts on that. And this a football talk. I mean, Mr. Willie Gibson. Mr. Gibson, how are you, sir? Good, sir. Gentlemen, how are you? What are your thoughts on the numbers that we just discussed that the American, what do you want to say, Mr. Gibson? Blinked, got fleeced, uh, as Andy said, got pumped. <laughs> what, what do you want to say from 45 to, to 18, and eight of that 18 is, could be paid over 12 years? Yeah, they... Uh... And my immediate thought when I saw that number is, oh, um, why wait the 12 years? Let's just, if it's going down, let's get it over with. But uh, that's amazing. Uh, I just thought about the Power Six. What Power Six conference would take less than half of an exit fee is, <laughs> is my initial thought. Like, yep. you know, this is a Power Six conference, I thought. And you're taking less than half and over a 12-year period. So, yeah, the, that, the 12 years is, is bizarre. And this is a good point right here. I wonder if ESPN, these skills, they sound the comment. If, feel free if you're tuning in and watching us on, on YouTube to add your comments in the comment section. Do y'all think ESPN helped facilitate uh, the buyout? How would they? Oh, I was just going to ask, how would they do so? Would they be, hey, if you agree to this buyout wheel, I don't know, the the next TV contract that they agree with, the way the ESPN and the conference will be more favorable to the conference? Well, what, what, what were you going to say? Yeah, I would I would say yes, that ESPN did have some type of uh, influence on this deal, whether it be, hey, we'll take care of you on the back end of the next deal, or, you know, I don't know what options or contingencies are in the current deal that maybe there was a little leaning of hey you know we have an out coming up in two years i don't know right but there's something uh that they used i would imagine as uh, a incentive to get this deal done and get it done to, to allow those teams to leave and uh join the bay 12 in 2023 and you know we won't ever know the, the details of what espn might have said 
to urge Commissioner Resco to go ahead and make a deal, but obviously he boxed himself in on, on two fronts. One, the precedent that uh, they agreed to with UConn buyout of $17 million, and that was over six years. The first, like $11 million of that could be paid out over six years. UConn just withheld their TV money, and then the balance was paid out over six years. So for UH, Cincinnati, and UCF to get to pay $8 million over 12 years, man, it seems like some strong arm in somewhere, but they want to welcome in their new six teams. So that is another area that he boxed in the Yukon buyout precedent. Then they want to add six teams and get started with their, their new conference in the American. Good luck to Rice and UTSA and, and you know, the other folks joining. It's an upgrade over conference USA, but I wonder how much of a hit they're going to take uh, like Memphis and SMU, the school still in the older, the original school still in the American way, uh, get hit financially. Now that you got six more teams, bigger, more slices of the pie. Good luck to them. What I'm happy to say as a UH alum, not our problem. You and know? can I add one thing? Chris? Yes, please do, James. Yes. When you brought up like Memphis, SMU. East Carolina, just all these original uh, American teams that aren't uh, part of the new Big 12, like what's stopping them from like, they see this buyout deal, what's stopping them from if they see any sliver, you know, trying to sliver into another conference, like this buyout deal, I feel like will make them be like, you know, if we find an opening somewhere else, I mean, we're jumping ship because look what the American did for Houston. I mean, they didn't have to pay much. And obviously, like we've discussed, the American's not the same, and it's, it, I mean, it's still better than, like you said, Conference USA and some of the other mid-majors, but it's nowhere near where it was with uh, the three schools leaving. And I think Memphis and SMU are hoping that the Big 12 will opt to expand in four, within the next five years, let's say. Um, but one thing we haven't touched on, Pesman mentioned it, is, well, Mr. Gibson, I'm not sure if you heard this, but when mm-hmm. Chris Pezen mentioned it, Chris Pezen, the vice president of athletics, when he mentioned it in Friday's Zoom call that Houston, UCF, and Cincinnati will be, receive full shares, revenue distribution in year three, year three, not year four, I was shocked. Joseph Duarte, mm-hmm. he, he asked toward the end for clarification, for verification. It's like, Chris, are you sure this is year three and not year four? Because the third year is the first year of the Big 12's new media rights deal. So that means Houston will get a large, large slice of that pie of new TV money. Will, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, again, you, know, you mentioned strong. I mean, I'm quite sure that was a, a, a strong incentive to get this deal done with the AAC to get them in the conference in 2023 versus 2024 to expedite that process so they can get that larger larger slice of the pie as quickly as possible. James, I'm gonna ask you this because I wonder what West Virginia thinks because they did not receive their full share until year four when they joined the Big 12 a few years ago. I wonder what they're thinking now. 
Yeah, I mean, they're definitely asking questions. Like, like you said, I was surprised with that too because you typically you look at all these past schools and with Big Twelve stuff, you know, they had to wait. And the only thing that like comes to mind is just in year three, if Texas and OU stay till twenty twenty five, they'd be gone. Like beginning UH's year three, um, which is the only like sort of reasoning I've sort of found like maybe that's why sort of the big 12, you know, they're, they're able to get, you know, f be fully vested in year three, but I'm certainly hurt if I'm a school like West Virginia and like, you know, you're letting them in real quick and we're going to have this giant new TV deal. And immediately they're going to get, you know, as much of uh, a payout as we are, who's been a member for 10 plus years at that point now. Andy, what are your thoughts on that? West Virginia. No, I, I'm just going. Uh, well, if you're West Virginia's perspective, I'm sure you're you're uh, feeling some type of way, like James said, um, just because of how really how beneficial it was for for Houston and really also all parties involved. I think uh, it just goes to show how the Big Twelve uh, really wanted these schools in by 2023. Um, and to be honest, that was probably a strong incentive, like I, I think we'll mention, um, for them to to kind of um, you know, expedite the process and, and reach a buyout agreement with the American. Um, to be honest, it makes me, you know, even question the American Athletic Conference even more that, that it was only 18 million that they were able to get um, get to. But I think that's what that really emphasizes that the Big 12 wanted these programs by 2023. And I wonder if ESPN kind of greased the palms a bit with their potential money in the next tv deal saying well if you give houston cincinnati ucf full share in the third year then maybe we can go to you know whatever 50 million per whatever you know per member school and by that time if you wait another year then it won't be as much i wonder how you know i would love to have those kind of problems in those kind of discussions but like i said as an alum you rates alum I'll put it up there because I know he's being a little bit funny, but it's a great day. It's a great day for UH Athletics. Hopefully this will help the new money coming in from the Big 12 will, will help the over-dependence on the student fees and all those things for education on campus. And, and maybe Andy, you and I have joked about it. Uh, we've seen Twitter. Maybe they can finally start rebuilding renovating some of the other buildings on campus, you know, that aren't athletic related. So maybe that's a good thing that could happen with some of this new money that can go back into the regular coffers and not just in the athletic coffers. James, we're talking what first year, maybe for Houston, UCF and the Cincinnati 20 million, roughly we think in 20 million, something, something like that. I'm the bottom line is it's going to be significantly more than what they were getting in the American, probably at least double considering, I think last week we brought up, it was like eight and a half uh, million. They got this year UH. So like 20 million. That's not quite Mr. Gibson, 230 million that is guaranteed to a certain quarterback in Ohio that uh, you cover so let's shift gears sir talk about mm -hmm. mr deshaun watson i'm not sure we discussed or asked you about it when it initially happened but what was your reaction then 
when the Browns signed Deshaun, traded for Deshaun, and, and but the guaranteed money. What was the reaction of you personally, and then fans in, in Ohio and Cleveland? Uh, my personal reaction was they, you know, scared money doesn't make money, and they were one of five teams that we know of, but reports are half the league was into the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, whether those teams want to admit it for PR purposes or not. Um, there were, again, reports half the league had inquired on his availability or his interest in joining their teams. So Cleveland, initially, they were one of the five teams to uh, beat with the team, Deshaun Watson and his team, uh, uh, agent David Mucoletta, um, and those in his circle. And initially, they were eliminated quite quickly. It was uh, Carolina, it was Atlanta, uh, kind of neck and neck Atlanta being his hometown. And reports seemingly, they thought because of the connection of hometown, Atlanta, Arthur Blake has known of Deshaun Watson, the owner of the uh, Atlanta Falcons, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion that he's going to Atlanta. And then for whatever reason, in the 12th hour, not only was Cleveland said to be back in the mix, but a five-year, $230 million fully guaranteed contract was signed. So, of course, the shock was fully guaranteed. You know, this is, this is NBA style. Right, you know, the NFL does not provide fully guaranteed contracts, and then the sheer number—five years, two hundred thirty million dollars, forty-five million per season—guaranteed—and then what they gave up: three first-round picks, a third-round pick, a fifth-round pick for Deshaun Watson, and then uh, after that, Baker Mayfield wasn't part of the deal. So all of these things were surrounding the deal like wait it was just it was the money it was the contract it was deshaun watson but then all these other ancillary things as well so um it was a shock but you know and then with the uh welcoming press conference opening press conference um of course the the allegations surfaced um those were front and center and deshaun addressed them uh well in my opinion, as much as he could address them. And um, now it's always been the question of, you know, how much did the Browns know? Um, I I will say this, um, Rusty Harden, uh, Deshaun Watson's lead attorney, and uh, Jimmy Haslam, Mm -hmm. our friends, owner of the Cleveland Browns, Jimmy Haslam, is close friends with Rusty Harden. Rusty Harden has done, uh, represented Jimmy Haslam in some... uh, proceedings in the past so i'm quite sure that the the relationship was used to find out some things maybe others may not have been able to find out and uh here we are uh mandatory mini camp begins uh this week was there any new feedback from fans with the number now with what is it now two or three uh New I think women. the total is at 24. 24 total, mm-hmm. but I think two or three new ones in the last week mm-hmm. or so. What has that been like up there in Ohio, Will? Um, this week, no. Um, but initially, again, there was the, you know, I've been a season ticket holder for 46 years, and I'll never step foot in 
versus Energy Stadium again. And, and that's your right. That's your prerogative to do so. Um, but recently, the, the anything new with the, the um, two to three new um, allegations? No. Um, mainly it's more so the league said they will be um, making an announcement uh, this month as okay. far as any potential penalties. So that focus now is, is it going to be four games? Is it going to be six games? Is it going to be eight games? Um, if anything, those two or three new allegations kind of added some question of can he miss the entire season now with these new allegations? And then also there was a, a story in the New York Times that mm -hmm. mentioned uh, the number was 66 women over a 17-month period. I don't know, um, but that, that's been uh, reported as well. And Andy, James, you guys feel free to chime in because I think um, Tony Busby is adding the Texans to the lawsuits uh, because based on the New York Times article, the Texans knew about this. And, and Mr. Nasty Man, as we got comments in, this, in, in, their, in our stream, <laughs> uh, said that, you know, the Texans helped. They knew about Deshaun, what he was doing, and gave him membership to a club or what have you and all those kind of things. So that's a bad look. Do any of you three believe that Deshaun, that the NFL will suspend him for more than eight games? Hmm, that is a tough question. Huh? I know initially Tom Brady got suspended four games, or at the very end, he got suspended four games for the deflate gate situation, but that was after he uh he had um he had fought against the right. It was higher initially the, the suspension than it was um when it first came out. Um and I can't remember what the original number was, but that's a tough question. And this whole Deshaun Watson thing, it's it's very um it's very hard to process because like we'll mention in the in the New York Times article where they're saying that uh, over the course of 17 months, Deshaun Watson had 66 different, you know, he contacted 66 different massage uh, masseuses. Um, I know the, the big thing from uh, Tony Busby's um, a video that had surfaced shortly after they, he got traded to the Cleveland Browns where um, they were asking him if Deshaun Watson knew that. Um, were all these uh, masseuses that you were seeing, were they licensed? Could they um, you know, actually give massage, massages um, legally in the state of Texas? And uh, in in those videos, Deshaun Watson saying that that, that wasn't his primary concern. Um, and now, like you mentioned, Chris, with Watson being added, or the Texans being added to, to the defense in, in Tony Busby's case, um, it, it's just a strange situation all around. And will Watson be suspended more than eight games? I think my gut reaction or my gut feeling is that he will just because of the optics of the situation with, with everything, at least the initial. He could always appeal. And, oh, he, maybe, he will. <laughs> yeah. and, and of course, then I could see it be reduced under eight, but I think the initial suspension will be much uh, it'll it'll be pretty large, um, and if you were to appeal and say he were to miss eight games um, or less, I mean he hasn't played uh, in a live football game since uh, January of 2021, and that's that's a long um, hiatus that he's had. Um, it'll be interesting to see now. Um, I think the thing that Watson has going for him, and that's something that they've been arguing for since the the allegations first came out, is 
Um, you know, he didn't do anything illegal. He didn't do anything that was um, breaking any criminal laws, which uh, Harris County and, and Brazoria County's uh, DA office agreed with them. They didn't charge him for any criminal um activities but still when it when it comes to the court of public opinion deshaun watson has um whether it's right or wrong he has really lost that battle and that's something that the optics it might it really we talked about um the, the three teams forcing the americans hand that might be forcing the nfl's hand to hand out a, a big suspension james what what do you think do you think it'll be more than eight games initially no. My gut says it's six to eight just because of the fact that Andy just brought up a minute ago that he wasn't criminally charged with anything. Um, and so I think the league will make it six or eight. I still think we'll appeal that, but um, I don't think it will be any bigger than that. Um, or I would be surprised um, just given the league's history and things like that. Um, and yeah. Well, what, what, what are you, what's your gut? Do you think it'll be more than eight? No, no, I, I, I believe it'll be eight or less. Um, and whatever it is, as you said, he will appeal. And then it goes directly to Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell is the jury, judge, jury, for lack of a better term, executioner, as far as appeals are concerned. Now, the issue is, does he go against his special... Uh, team that he that developed for this case and for uh, investigating uh, situations with players does he does he take their recommendation and go against that or does he stick with what they put on the table and and enforce it now what I will say is uh, a lot of people here in Cleveland and Ohio in general, Feel that Tony Busby overplayed his hand by including the Texans as a defendant in this case, because now you've involved not just the Texans, you've involved every owner in the NFL. Because owners, that's a tight fraternity. Mm -hmm. They keep the ship tight. They keep quarters closed. And if you're coming for one of them, you're coming for all of them. And so now people feel that by including the Texans, he might have overplayed his hand just a little bit, and that might be in Deshaun Watson's favor. Who's the backup quarterback for the Browns? Jacoby Brissett. So is Jacoby ready to play some games, start some games in the fall? He is getting ready. That is the plan. Have you had a chance to uh, interview Deshaun? No, he hasn't been made available. He, uh, actually, minicamp uh, begins this week, and it's the last time before training camp. I highly doubt he'll be made available then, but um, we shall see. But every to a, to a man, everybody in that locker room has spoken extremely high of him hmm. as a man, as a player. Um, I know it was, I believe it was Memorial Day weekend. He took every player that wanted to be involved to the Bahamas for a team building activity. Wow. It wasn't just the offense. It wasn't just the receivers. It was the entire team, whoever chose to go. All the expenses paid to the Bahamas on Deshaun. Deshaun wanted to build a team and develop a team bonding activity. And it kind of bled over to the defense because I believe two weeks later, which was, no, actually it's two weeks later, uh, the week after, 
Miles Garrett took the defense on a similar trip to Miami. So he's already in the locker room developing relationships and being a, a leader in spite of the allegations that um, he's faced he's faced with. I was just about to post that. What are your thoughts on that? <clears throat> about why Citizens is a, is a Texans fan, but Trevor Bauer's situation in Major League Baseball, he's been he's been out a long time, <laughs> Trevor, and that's a whole nother issue about you know Trevor Bauer and, and what he's been a, accused of. But do you think that that could force the NFL's hand to make it? I you know, I just I'd be floored if NFL suspended Deshaun for the whole season. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, but maybe 10 games, you know, I, I don't, the Trevor Bauer situation is a criminal case. Yep. So I, I don't think, I don't see them being the same. And as far as the top five pick, Cleveland has a roster that can absorb the loss of Deshaun Watson. Jacoby Brissett may not take them to uh, allow them to, to have those Super Bowl aspirations, but Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. Miles Garrett, the Damian Clowney, I think that those players along with others would be enough to to not allow Cleveland to to fall into a situation where they have a top five pick coming to Houston next year. And if you're tuning in, yes, this is folks talking sports. Yes, sports. So we discuss mm-hmm. not just the Cougs, not just the Rockets. We can do other things too. That's why it's folks talking sports. Thank you, Brother Gibson. And what are we gonna I, say? No, I was gonna just ask uh will what happens with baker mayfield now uh obviously you know they're looking for trade partners uh what, what's the deal with him yeah he's he's been excused by mutual consent from this weekend's uh, minicamp um he gets to keep ninety five thousand dollars that he would have been fined by missing um he'll never play in cleveland again just point blank period that 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 ship is sailed that relationship is not fractured it's broken it's crushed um pulverized to smithereens however i can say it he's never playing because everyone's like well if the song gets suspended for the year they could still under the contract they can he's not playing in cleveland anymore that it's irreparable it's yep, um they still try to find play, uh trade partners now it's a situation where um there was a deal in place draft night or the second out of the draft, they sent him to Carolina. Carolina, he's he's due eighteen point nine million dollars in salary, guaranteed this year. A lot of teams are waiting for Cleveland to have to release him and then sign him for league minimum. But Cleveland's not going to eat that eighteen point nine million. They had a deal in place to send him to Carolina. Carolina wanted to pay thirteen million of the eighteen point nine, and Cleveland balked. So that may still be revisited or it can lead into the season where it's trade deadline time. And, you know, unfortunately, a quarterback gets hurt. And how how much do, of this 18.9 uh, does Cleveland want to eat at that point? So, But he won't play in Cleveland anymore as a Brown. Right. Do you see this Baker situation being like the Rockets and John Wall last the whole season where he, he – gets paid his full salary to not play? No. Uh, I think it's resolved by October, whatever trade deadline time 
I don't think he, I don't think he's on the roster the full season. You know, either either they will um, trade him between now and trade deadline, or at that point they may release him. But I don't I don't foresee him sitting in, in uh, Lake Travis, Texas, collecting Jimmy Haslam's checks anymore. After this, I mean, no. All right, and we're, once again, we're tuned in. You're tuned in to Folks Talk of Sports here on the Houston Round Bar of your YouTube channel, as well as Folks Talk Sports Twitter account. If you're not, don't follow the account. Please do so. Follow us on Twitter at Folks Talk Sports. We are still uh, w- working to get Sam Khan from the Athletic to join us to discuss uh, the Big 12 news with, with Houston, Cincinnati, UCF joining. But until Sam joins us, NBA Finals, gentlemen, Andy. Mr. Guarantee, what was your reaction when you saw, in my opinion, the Celtics crater down the stretch in the fourth quarter and give game four away? No, I think uh, that word you just used is the perfect, uh, the perfect one to describe it. And that was crater because um, I think I thought initially I was feeling really good about my pick. I was like, "Hey, Boston's um, they 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 made the run. They got they got this game under control. They're gonna go back to San Francisco up three one. They'll lose game five, and then they they get a chance to close it out game six at TD Garden. Um, and then the Warriors went on their run. Give you know, I mean, give credit to to Golden State and really give credit to Steph Curry, who I don't know this entire series. Um, I, four games in there's still at the very least two games left to be played but it, it seems like he um you know how they always say they don't hear the noise but it seems like he's motivated to get that nba finals uh mvp and and he's certainly been the best player um on both teams to be quite frank uh clear cut the better uh player and it he showed he uh powered this uh the, he powered the warriors um over the celtics in that game four and also give credit to steve kerr who uh he benched draymond um during crunch time when the Warriors came back. And I think that was big there. And it's going to be interesting to see going forward um, at the very least, like I said, two games in how kind of Steve Kerr manages that lineup because Draymond Green, especially on the offensive end, he has been um, a, a huge liability. And then really at times it, it kind of helps Boston. It, it's kind of five at four on times on, on the defensive side of the ball, just because of the lack of, productivity that Draymond Green has been able to show uh, on offense. James, do you believe Boston cratered down the stretch in game four and blew their chance to win this championship? Yes, absolutely. Uh, This was the first game in the series where they sort of held their ground in the third quarter. They didn't allow the Warriors to have their, you know, patented third quarter where they just blow the game open. They were outscored. The Warriors outscored them by six, but it wasn't ridiculous. They they were still in that game. And then they're leading in the fourth quarter. Um, And, I mean, it just comes down to one. I mean, Steph was unbelievable. But two, their stars didn't show up. Then Jason Tatum didn't – he wasn't – he didn't – he wasn't aggressive enough. He didn't make the big shots, make the plays down the stretch. Steph did. That's the difference in the game. I think Golden State takes game five, and then we'll see about game six. But I think – I mean, they needed – the Celtics needed to go to – uh, back to the Bay, up 3-1. And James, did you pick the Warriors w- to win? I picked them originally in five. Um, yeah. Okay. So I think in six now. I think they win game five and then game six, Clay. 
Oh no, you just yeah. There you go. Game six, Clay. You're you're the uh, one of the four who who picked the Warriors. The rest of us picked the Celtics. Mr. Gibson, your thoughts on Boston's crater job in the fourth? And then I I'm, I am going to get step credit, but I got to throw some rocks at some Celtics as well. But go ahead, Mr. Gibson. Yeah, um, perfect. They had a golden opportunity to go back to the Bay up three one, and then you would have heard all the stories. Warriors down three one again. 2016, LeBron took you know, so, um, or instead of being up 3-1, being down 3-1, um, as opposed to 2016. So, um, yeah, they blew an opportunity to win Friday night. However, um, they are 7-0 and in the playoffs after a loss. So, Monday night, game five in, in the Chase Center, I think Boston wins it. And then, okay. Let's say, for argument's sake, Golden State wins in game six. Then next Sunday night, Father's Day, game seven. Again, Boston undefeated after a loss in the playoffs. Does Boston do it on the road, game seven? I don't I don't know. I, I still like my Boston is six pick. I still think Boston wins tomorrow night, game five. And then with game seven on the road looming overhead, I think they – they pull rank, galvanize, and win game six at home for the championship. I picked Warriors in seven mainly because Andy, I mean, excuse me, Boston in seven mainly because Andy picked Boston in six. So I don't want to duplicate the prediction. So I, I, know, it's, uh, I know it's going to be difficult to get that done, to win in the Bay in seven. But I got to throw these rocks at Robert Williams and, and old head Al Horford. I know the Boston coaching staff has says in, well, I don't know because I'm not there, but I assume strongly that in film sessions, men get out on those high screens, hands up, do not give Steph Curry space on those high screening rolls. Please, over and over, four games in, Robert Williams it seems like he's never seen Steph Curry shoot basketball in his life. I mean, around the rim, he's good at, you know, protecting the rim, being rim protected, blocking some shots. But it will come to Steph Curry in high screen to roll. He's five to eight feet from, from Steph. And then with his hands down. So, and Al Horford being the vet, is doing the same thing. Men. What are y'all? We all know. We all know Steph is a great shooter, even making tough shots, contested shots. But why are you give, giving him easier shots to give him a chance to get a rhythm? And then by the time he gets a rhythm, it won't make a difference what you do, <laughs> you know, how tight you are to him. But my goodness, four games in, fourth quarter, Robert Williams. Maybe because he's an Aggie. I mean, that's what he just can't figure it out. The process, maybe that's what it is. Yep, I threw rockets, y'all. But yeah, I mean, come on, Robert. Four games in, man, you're making the same mistake over and over. Am I the only one who feels that way? No. Please. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. I, I've been saying, like, to people I've been talking about, I have a good buddy who's like a huge NBA fan. We talk every night after the games. Um, like, if you're the if you're the Celtics. If you're going to go down, it's not because Steph beats you. It's because you make someone else beat you. Clay's a good shooter. He's not the great shooter he was before the injury. Andrew yeah. Wiggins, he's 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 spotty. He can score at points. He can be cold at points. 
Jordan Poole, same thing. Otto Porter, you got to make one of those guys make the tough shots to beat you. You're not, you don't want to go down because you leave Steph three feet of space off a screen and it's a layup for him, basically. Yeah. Like, make someone else beat you. James? I'm excuse me, Andy? No, yeah, I absolutely agree with what James said. And, I mean, uh, even him mentioning Andrew Wiggins. I mean, kudos to Wiggins. Uh, I can't remember the exact number he had in rebounds, but he had, like, what, over 17 rebounds? 16, 17, around that. Um, He was a player that that, um, got a lot of criticism um, after the Warriors fell down on the 2-1 hole. Uh, just because of, of, you know, the lack of production he had been able to show, and he, and he showed out big in game four. But I think James is absolutely right on the money. Um, and, and it comes in lapses. And it's like you mentioned Horford um, and Williams, and, and re- really that's been the biggest struggle where uh, I think – I can't remember who exactly it was. I think Marcus Smart might have gone under a screen, and there was confusion on the on the switch on one of uh, the late threes that Steph Curry hit, and the, the camera pans to – uh, Udoka and he is absolutely livid by by what just happened and man but at, at the end of the day I think you just got to give credit to, to Curry because if uh, obviously of course you live with him driving but he's just so deadly and he's really I mean to me it looks like he's on a mission to get the finals MVP that being said I'm not gonna change my pick I still got the Celtics in six and the reason for that um, and I, I said that, uh, I think when I initially said the pick, I told James, but they, they've just been so resilient um, throughout the entire playoffs. I mean, uh, going back to the Milwaukee series, uh, where it seemed like they had, uh, you know, lost that series. They go down 3-2 heading for game six in Milwaukee. Uh, they do it against in my, against Miami in that series. Um, but I think they have to do it in six because I don't know if they can beat Golden State twice in San Francisco um, now that it's the best of three series. And joining us right now is, is Mr. Big Time from The Athletic, uh, Sam Khan. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing great. Thank you for taking time to join us, my man. No problem. Sam, we, I'm going to repeat what our, our young colleague, Mr. Yanez, said. He phrased it that the American got punked, Sam, <laughs> in, in, the, in the buyout agreement. What are your thoughts on the buyout agreement? Uh, I will tell you, it is very advantageous for the schools leaving. Uh, I, I could not. If you would have asked me what kind of deal I thought they were going to get, I would not have guessed something quite as sweetheart as the deal they got. The, the fact that, and I think it's not so much the fee, the $18 million fee I think seems reasonable because they're not leaving two years early. They're leaving five, six months before the notification was supposed to be his 27 month notification would have put him in December of 2023 instead of July. So I, 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 so the fee I think is reasonable, but the fact that they get 12 years to pay out the final 8 million, I mean, (laughs) I am I'm kind of at a loss. Like I'm not sure I understand what Mike Oresco and the American athletic conference is doing. Uh, Some people made the comparison or the suggestion that what if the America is not around in 12 years, I I don't know that I will go that far. I think it will still be around, but but it's not unrealistic to bring that up. And I, I think it doesn't really do much good for the incoming members of the conference. I guess if you multiply it times three, you know, because you're getting, you know, 667,000, you know, times three. So I guess a little bit more over almost uh, two million from from each year from the three schools leaving. But I still to me, if I were the American, I thought you would have done better than that. Yeah. 
in 12 years, I'll, I'll go it this way. In 12 years, do you think Memphis and SMU will still be in the American? Yeah, that's that's a that's a question that I think is unanswerable at this point. And certainly, if it's up to those two schools, the answer would be no, because that they, they, they would hope that they get an invitation to the Big 12 or another uh, power conference. And we touched on this. I want to get your thoughts on what do you think West Virginia is thinking now, considering Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF become full members in year three, and the Mountaineers had to wait a fourth year before getting full revenue distribution. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's you don't you wish it would it would not be that way, but I think there's probably understanding because of the timing of everything. Uh, when West Virginia joined and TCU joined, they had just signed that grant of rights deal, and they were very much in the early stages of you know this new look conference, and they were also remember joining a conference that still had Texas and OU in it. This is just all kind of lines up pretty neatly because the TV contract's going to be done at the end of 2024, 2025. And the new, the old schools will have, if they haven't moved out, if Texas and OU haven't moved out by then, then they will. So I think it just makes chronological sense. Uh, I, I understand that West Virginia folks or TCU folks are a little frustrated by it. But at the same time, I think everybody's going to do well. I, I don't get any sense that the revenues for media rights are going to drop really will it ascend to the level that it would be if texas and OU were in it probably not obviously i think that's safe to say but i don't get the sense that there's going to be a huge plummet in the media rights revenues and, that, and again this is all just just speculation based on what i've heard from people i've talked to but i don't think it's going to be a lot of people got scared last year when they heard bob bowlsby say that texas and OU accounted value-wise for half of the media rights deal that's true that's accurate but i think people mistook that as thinking that when they leave the conference that the media rights revenue is going to get cut in half i don't think that's going to be the case i think it's if if anything else if nothing else i think it'll at least stay flat and and if that happens for these and we know we just the big two i think just announced that they were paying out 42 million this last year right. for media rights so if that's the case and you're the remaining schools or you're the new incoming schools ucf Houston, BYU, Cincinnati, boy, that's that's music to your ears because definitely the American Athletic Conference schools were only getting, I think, what about seven million or so from from their conference for media rights. So that's a huge jump, and that makes a huge difference for those schools' athletic departments. Sam, do you do you think that the fact that BYU is in the Mountain Time Zone is a plus for the Big Twelve to promote being the only conference that has members in three time zones? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think I think it, I think it helps. There there are some geographical advantages to the additions. The BYU is a little bit more. I don't want to call it a national program, but it's known nationally. You know, and it has a history. You know, they won a national championship. You know, I think it was, you know, in the 1980s. But but they have that history. Uh, people remember when Ty Detmer won a Heisman. So there, there's there's a rich history, and they're a good program. And I'm sure I've never been personally. I don't know if anybody on on this show has been personally, but everyone says that, and you can see even the camera shots, the sight, sight lines when you're at BYU Stadium in Provo is pretty beautiful. So uh, I, I would imagine it's a pretty great atmosphere to play. And then you've got the other, the advantages to the other schools is you bring in, obviously Houston is a geographic fit, but then you bring in Cincinnati that brings in Ohio, which is a good quality recruiting footprint. That may not is may not help the Texas schools, but it'll probably help West Virginia to some extent. Uh, and then you bring in UCF; it's got the state of Florida. 
they're obviously a little saturated in this state, just like Texas is with multiple power five programs. And, and, but there's a lot of talent there. So I'm curious to see what it does from a recruiting standpoint for UCF. And then of course, with Cincinnati, you bring in a little bit of a travel partner with West Virginia because West Virginia has kind of been on its own geographically mm-hmm. in this conference. And now you have someone that's close by, which is obviously not just good for football, but is good for those other sports as well. But I think it's definitely a good, it's definitely a, a, a marketing, a feather in the cap for the, for, for the big 12 marketing, because, you're going to have all those time zones and you're going to heck you, you may be able to have some late night big 12 games competing with your pac 12 after dark games. You know, if you have a night game at BYU, if you see, you know, TCU at BYU or something, that could be an interesting, you know, Saturday night game that gets people talking uh, throughout the season. Guys, y'all got a question for Sam Khan? Uh, I'll, I'll go. Um, and obviously this move, when you when you think of it in, from the big aspect, you think of football first. But I think it was John Rothstein who, who reported that. Um, well, I guess first part A to that question, does it still do you from what you've heard, do you still think that Texas and, and OU stick around until 2025? Yeah, I, I mean, it's still difficult to know for sure, but obviously it's getting closer to that. I, I think there is still a possibility they leave for 24. But I, I think I think we're at a place where they're definitely going to be in for twenty three. I think we're getting a little bit so far down the line here that it's kind of hard to make that move now. But but uh, but yeah, I think I, I think there is a very real possibility they're still in it for twenty five just because of the financial penalty they have to pay to get out. Gotcha. So follow up to that when you look at the basketball side of things, and like I was going to say, I think it was John Rothstein who who reported that the the Big Twelve. Um, like you mentioned, for the very least, 23-24, um, they're still focusing focusing in on doing an 18-conference game schedule for, for the men's basketball side. Obviously, they'd have uh, 14 teams to participate, and they'd prioritize certain rivalries uh, for schools to play twice a year, one of them being Houston-UCF, and I think it was Cincinnati and West Virginia. Uh, what, what, have you, what can you tell us from the, the basketball perspective and, and how the conference is preparing for, for that once um, these programs join i mean obviously it's going to be a great basketball conference i mean when you bring in the quality programs you are uh, uh, it's going to be almost unparalleled i think the, the depth and breadth of the conference and when you have the quality programs at the top end but then just the depth from top to bottom i think it's going to be hard to beat from a scheduling standpoint i, I don't know because i've mostly just dealt with the football in and, and they're still working that part out obviously we don't know yet if they're going to do divisions or whatnot so I, i'm not real keen on what they're going to do basketball wise but i do know um, as you guys know, and you guys have witnessed it, this conference is already good, but now you're bringing in some more good programs. And I think that's that's just going to make it that much better. And uh, I think you're going to see the impact of that come tournament time. You're going to see a lot of even more of these teams from this conference going into the tournament. And and it's I think it's only going to be good for the brain of the league as a whole. I think what the basketball thing does is because of the strength of the basketball. And now you're bringing in these football programs that are on the uptick right now. BYU back to back double digit one season Cincinnati coming off the playoff UCF. You know, maybe not as great, but still a good program in Houston coming off this 12 and 2 season. You're going to be, it looks like right now, the conference is going to be pretty solid in the two highest profile sports. And that's really good for the health of the league because back in September, we were talking about whether or not the Big 12 was even going to exist. And right. now, when you look at what they brought in, what, prog- what direction those programs are going, and what the health of the league is going to be top to bottom in football and basketball, that only bodes well for the future of the conference. James, Will, got any questions for Sam before we wrap it up? Yeah, I got one. Um, so you just mentioned stuff about, you know, divisions and assuming Texas and OU are in the Big 12, 24, 25. 
you got 14 teams there. Do you think, I mean, just your opinions on divisions, how you think they'll split that up? you think that's the way to go? And then, like, how they'll balance that? Will they add an extra conference game non or take away a non-conference games? Things like that. I think they'll stick with nine. Whatever whatever the format ends up, whether it's divisions or not, I think they'll stick with nine games. Uh, obviously, you can't do round-robin because the conference yeah. is too good for that. But I think the nine-game conference schedule, because from a TV rights standpoint and revenue standpoint, the TV partners, I think, will find that attractive because the more intra-conference games you have, the more quality games you have. Because if the, the non-conference games, you, you may have one good power five opponent but a lot of them are going to be either group of five or fcs and so those games don't do as well tv wise so i think the the preference from the tv partners is going to be to stick to nine conference games uh, i i do think not divisions doesn't make sense for everybody like in the sec i don't think divisions make sense because there's too many rivalries to protect uh but in the big 12 i think you can still do divisions because i don't think there are enough rivalries that need protecting that require you to have three permanent opponents and then six other conference opponents. I think there's few enough rivalries that you can break them up into divisions. And I think, honestly, a geographical alliance makes the most sense. If you kept all the Texas schools together and then Oklahoma State, and then I guess you could take your pick whether or not you want BYU or UCF in that division, and then the rest of the schools can be in the other, the northern division, so to speak. Uh, I think that makes a lot of geographic sense, and I think it has a lot of potential. Uh, but, but I think it does. I don't think that necessarily it's, they're still not decided on that yet. That's still something I think we'll probably find out in the fall once the new commissioner has gotten hired and he's had some time. He or she has had some time to kind of get the lay of land, understand the dynamics of this conference and what it's going to look like moving forward. I think that's something come fall or maybe even after the season you could start seeing a look at. What the uh, what the setup's going to be in terms of divisions or no divisions? Willie Gibbs, you got the last question for Sam Khan if you want it. I think I do. I do. And actually, Sam, I was coming to that as far as the new commissioner of the Big Twelve. Any information you can share? Any uh, anything you've heard about who that would be and how close they are to making that uh, decision? Yeah, no, that, their goal is to do it by Big Twelve Media Days, which is mid July. So, uh, if you're going to do that, we're about a little bit more than a month away from that. So if you're going to do that, then in, in theory, you should have a few candidates in the mix. I haven't heard much on, on who's in the mix. I do know that there is a desire to stick with someone that is well-versed on NCAA issues. You know, when the Pac-12 made their hire, they went someone that was a little bit more, I think, savvy on outside of NCAA and media rights and things like that. I do not get the sense from the Big 12 that there's a push for that. Uh, you know, Mac Rhodes, I think, talked about it a few weeks ago. Uh, he, he had mentioned we have enough consultants that we feel good about that we don't have to get somebody that's an expert on the in the TV world. I think the emphasis for the Big 12 is finding someone who is well-versed on NCAA issues because of how much has changed with the portal, with NIL, with the governance structure changes that are happening and, and what the NCAA could look like in five years, whether or not even football is going to be part of the NCAA. Uh, those are all things that are on the horizon and very undecided. And I think having somebody who's got a grasp of where that's going is really of utmost importance. I think that's if you're looking for somebody, it's going to be somebody that not necessarily that's not been a college football lifer or college sports lifer, but someone who's been in it long enough to understand that, but also has enough, I think, open mindedness and ideas to position this conference for whatever the NCAA or college football future is going to be. Awesome, Sam. Thank you very much, man. And let me plug this real quick that's how you can find sam right there with the athletic thank you for joining us my man Anything thank you. you want to say as we wrap it up i apologize if my 
almost two year old made any sounds in the background. We're in a hotel room right now, and he keeps running over and trying to no worries, get my man. attention. <laughs> no worries. We don't mind that here on Folks Talker Sports. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Take care. Thank you, man. Y'all have a good one. You too. Right, you, you too. Thanks. All right. James Mueller, you got it first, man. How can folks get in touch with you as we close it out here on Folks Talker Sports? Yeah, you can check me out on Twitter at JDM2186, and then all my work for UH coverage is at thedailycougar.com. Willie Gibson, how can folks contact you, sir? Like you said, you can find me on Twitter as well as Instagram at WillGibson7 and uh, Facebook, Will Knows. Andy Yanez, you're up next. For sure. They can follow me on Twitter at Ayanez underscore five uh, real quickly because I think he was making it in jest when it's our USFL segment. I'll just uh, stick to the Houston's perspective and I'll just say this. The gamblers are nowhere near the level that the Roughnecks were. Um, So I'll leave it at that. The Birmingham team, the USFL. Hmm, I wonder if you could go conspiracy, but they're, they're dominating that league. Um, and uh, we'll see if the XFL relaunch, if the Roughnecks can, can continue to have the buzz that they have. Uh, but also be sure to follow uh, at Jam on Twitter, as you see it on the ticker. For those of you listening to the audio only, that's at P-A-W-D-S-L-A-M-A-J-A-M-A on Twitter. Um, we are the University of Houston Athletics podcast speaking uh, mostly football, men's basketball, and women's basketball. And, of course, coming up on our next episode, we'll discuss a little bit more of the the news of the Big 12 that Houston will be joining um, starting July 1st, 2023. Obviously, that's the big news, and um, that's pretty much it. Thank you, guys, as always, for for joining us. Thank you to the audience participation as well. With this edition I of do, both talkers. Well, go ahead, Andy. Go ahead. I do have one more thing. And, and Chris, you mentioned this at the start of the show, but um, you thanked me, but I just want to thank every single person that took time to, to retweet the, the GoFundMe, um, that donated to the GoFundMe. And it, honestly, I, I said it on Twitter where, um, Chris, I, I know every now and then you start, start off these shows with What's Up Family. And really, that's where you got to see it because mm-hmm. I think it was a span of 36 hours where um, I. I can't remember. It was 36. Certainly within 48 hours, our goal was $2,000 and we had raised over 3000 right. for um, the GoFundMe that, you know, at the end of the day, all of this is to, to help you. Like I said, at the end of the day, it's just money and it can't replace what, you know, like I said, I can't imagine what you're going through. But it, it's really awesome to see how everyone from the UH community, from the Rockets community rallied around you and and came and they raised that money in such a short amount of time. And um, that's just awesome to see. And once again, I want to thank you for, for arranging that, setting it up and much appreciation to everyone who did make a donation. Um, close it out with this. My mom, she showed signs of life. She was wide awake uh, Wednesday. She's still fighting. I'm going to go f- visit her shortly this evening. Going to see, uh, get transferred to a long-term care facility, see if that helps her. Um, more and more these last few days, I have not been happy with the current medical staff where she is right now because uh, they seem like they want to get rid of her. So thank you for everyone for your help and support for that. I keep praying for her. If that's what you do, believe in prayer. Thank you, for, as always. Thank you to Andy. Thank you to James. Thank you to Will, Sam Khan for joining us on this edition of Folks Talking Sports. Next Sunday's Father's Day. Mr. Gibson, you going to have time to join us next Sunday? I'll, I'll make it. If, if we, I'll make it. And I'll I'm just it. assuming that Andy and James, they're not fathers, but are you, you guys have time to make it next Sunday? 
Uh, not yet, Chris. No, but uh, yeah, for sure, I uh, should be penciled in. And I mean, heck, maybe we'll be we'll be uh, pre-gaming a little bit for Game Seven of the NBA Finals. So we'll yep. see. James, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I should be able to. And like Andy said, I hope I hope we're watch or we're getting ready for Game Seven. But we'll see. And last thing, wrap it up, folks who may not have heard or seen Tamer Knight, who has contributed to folks talking sports in the past, landed a job. TV station in Mississippi. I want to say in Jackson, Mississippi. So she'll get a chance to cover Deion Sanders and Jackson State Athletics directly. So I'm going to try to pull her coattail, make sure she doesn't get too big time to not be able to join us every so often here on Full Talk of Sports. So as always, thank you guys for participating, sharing your insight on the show. To the fans who participated on YouTube and Twitter, thank you as always. You can catch the audio of this on the podcast platforms like iTunes and Spotify. So as always, we'll see you next Sunday. Until then, take care.